Welcome to the Two-Way Poetry Podcast, a bi-weekly series of programmes where I speak to poets about their own creative inspirations and practice. In each show, I invite a writer to talk about a poem that has influenced his, her, their own writing. We discuss the work and, in return, my guest reads a poem they have written as a response, however overtly or indirectly connected to this original piece. In this episode, I talked to the poet Elizabeth Holloway about how Sharon Old's poem, The Blue Dress, influenced the writing of her own poem, Blue Dress. I'm here today in in an office again at work with Elizabeth Holloway, and we're going to talk about two poems that are I would say very closely related. If if I thought about this podcast and I was thinking of an example of what I wanted to talk about in terms of poems talking to each other, this is a very good example, I think. And uh, uh, two very fine poems as well that are in conversation with each other. So the, the, the poem we're going to look at first is actually a Sharon Olds poem, The Blue Dress, and the Elizabeth Holloway poem is called Blue Dress. So there's a subtle difference there between the two. So thank you very much, Liz, for coming today. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. I'm I'm interested in when you first encountered Sharon Olds. Mm, mm. When did you first come across her? Well, this poem, The Blue Dress, was in Sign of Saturn, which I've left at home on my photocopy machine. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, had I brought the book, as I planned to do, look in uh, the flyleaf to see what I'd inscribed on it. But I think it was, was it published in the mid-80s? It was the 80s, yeah. It's definitely an 80s anthology. And I think it was the first Sharon Earls anthology I bought. I think, and it's a cracking collection. I think possibly, and I'm sure there are people out there who can say I'm, you know, right and say I'm wrong, but I think it's the first... It's her first. Her first book. English book. Right. I think okay. there's an issue around the American what books. Which she's already published in the States. Yeah, and what right. actually had come out through an English yeah. publisher. But it knocked our socks off, didn't it, here, when it came out. My memory is that there was lots of talk about it. There was lots of excitement. It was going places and doing things that we hadn't really encountered before. And uh, I was very, very excited by it. Uh, so I think it was mid-80s, maybe a bit later. And uh, I think of it contemporaneous in my own reading with reading people like Simon Armitage and Carol Ann Duffy and, yeah. and, and that sort of era, Ruth Padel, I remember. And those were the things I was, read- was reading at the time. And, and so I encountered this, this poem then. I would have been in my... I don't know, 20s. Right, okay. 40 did, years ago. <laughs> did, it, did it speak to you differently than, than Caroline Duffy and Simon Armitage did? They did. It, it did. They did. All of the ones in Sign of Saturn, and especially this one, because, I mean, I'm not really keen on the term confessional poetry, but I do like um, strong voices, strong characters. And what I was getting from Armitage and Caroline Duffy at the time were voices, these absolutely fabulous personas that they were in, inhabiting. And I was learning from that as a new writer and trying to take on personas and voices myself. And then to encounter Sharon Earls with that, that little eye around which everything revolves, that stick of an eye, and thinking, wow, 
can you really do that? That was, for me, it was liberating and exciting. She she is the poet laureate of the confessional, almost, really. I think so. However, are we... Are In we, the tradition of Anne Sexton, yeah. let's say, and, yeah. and Plath, yeah. I guess. But should we be wary of connecting Sharon Olds, the, the, the writer, the person, too closely with mm. the, the poetry on the page? How do we view the mm. kind of the gap between... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the writer yeah. and, the, and, and the written. You well, know. I'm fascinated by this question, of course, because you know from my own work that I'm working that gap myself quite often. And when I talk about my I, that I write, I quite often refer to it, uh, that I as the narrator rather than me. I would never talk well. I would rarely talk about... Uh, I when I'm talking about one of my poems. So I'm creating a gap there and saying, don't for a minute assume that this narrator is the author. Please don't do that because we don't know the gaps that there are there. There'll be bits that are fictionalized. There are bits that are rubbed out. There are all sorts of places where the writer of this poem has taken their life, but has created something else with it, this text that they're sharing with you. Yeah. But don't don't make the mistake of thinking that this is a a, a single truth. It isn't. I mean, I always think of poetry as a kind of alternate reality that yeah. that you're creating. Yeah. I mean, it is artifice. Yeah. yeah. But the hope, the thing that you are creating is mm. is as real as anything that that you that you live in a way. Absolutely. It's a strange sort of yeah. way. And it is creation because for me, I firmly believe that writing is a is a way of knowing. It's an epistemology. I see writing as epistemology. I emerge from the process of writing, knowing things differently than the person who began the poem. So when I set off, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what new understandings are going to be unearthed. I don't know what I'm going to discover. Now, if that is true, which I believe it's true for my own writing, that I write to discover as epistemology, then clearly it is something other than my life yeah. because on the page I have gone somewhere else that I, I that wasn't the place I was in an experiential way. Yeah. Uh, so it is an artifice. It is a creation. It is something. And I'm always staggered by what we discover when we write and mm. the movement that we make as people from the first to the last line and how we emerge from it transformed mm. with a transformed understanding the danger then of course is when you think back on do you remember the poem of your life or the life <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. yeah um yeah it's probably the the poem of your life is probably neater and more organized than yeah. the actual life itself yeah i guess i <laughs> Guess you're right about that. And it might rhyme as well. <laughs> Which, well, yeah. well our, our it lives. There's order on it. Yeah, our lives rhyme though, don't they? I suppose that's the thing. They do. We, I like the idea of us finding rhymes in our lives. Could, could you read the poem, The Blue Dress by the Sharon Olds? one. You want me to read this one? Please. Okay. The Blue Dress. The first November after the divorce, there was a box from my father on my birthday. No card, but a big box from Hinks, the dark department store with a balcony and mahogany rail around the balcony. You could stand and press your forehead against it until you could almost feel the dense grain of the wood. 
and stare down into the rows and rows of camisoles, petticoats, bras, as if looking down into the lives of women. The box was from there. He had braved that place for me, the way he had entered my mother once to get me out. I opened the box, had never had a present from him, and there was a blue shirtwaist dress, blue as the side of a blue teal, disguised to go in safety on the steel blue water. I put it on, perfect fit. I liked that it was not too sexy, just a blue dress for a 14-year-old daughter, the way Clark Kent's suit was just a plain suit for a reporter. But I felt the weave of that mercerized Indian head cotton against the skin of my upper arms and my wide, thin back, and especially the skin of my ribs under those new breasts I'd raised in the night like earthworks in commemoration of his name. A year later, during a fight about just how awful my father had been, my mother said he had not picked out the dress, just told her to get something not too expensive, and then had not even sent a cheque for it. That's the kind of man he was. So I never wore it again in her sight. But when I went away to boarding school, I wore it all the time there, loving the feel of it, just casually mentioning sometimes it was a gift from my father, wanting in those days to appear to have something, whether it was true or a lie, I didn't care, just to have something. Thank you very much. How did you find reading it? It's an interesting poem on the page. She she often breaks the line in interesting places. Not it's the not commas often. that get me. Right. Why doesn't she use full stops? <laughs> <laughs> I did not read it as she wrote it, do I? Because there's commas. Yeah. It's just, it's, as you say, it's very, it's 40, I've counted them up, it's 41 lines, but it's difficult even to figure out how many lines there are in it. It's got these very, very long-limbed lines and then these little ones, you think, well, is that a runover? Is that a new line? I mean, the second line, for instance, it's a very, it's an incredibly long line compared to, you know, and she ends the line on a ah. Which on is, an ah, yeah. Which is something that, you know, you, you get your red head out and, I mean, she's so technically, I mean, the thing yeah. is, she's so technically proficient. Yeah. I mean, I, she breaks <clears throat> all the rules in terms of her line endings. But you know what? Now I'm thinking that the other excitement about Sharon Old back in the day was probably that example of free verse and giving us permission really to think of free verse as a form yeah. and seeing how far we could push it. Mm. No, I agree completely. I think, you know, her, her handling of the line is just uh, incredible, really. Mm. You know? But the commas do bother me. The commas. And I would, like, I would like her here now to have a conversation with her about <laughs> those commas, <laughs> you know, because I think they're periods, really. Um, well, she uses dashes as well, doesn't she? Um, she dash. does, yeah, she, and dash a lot. Yeah. She, there's all sorts of different um, tricks that she's using, I think. It's the flow, though, isn't it? I guess it's the flow of the line. Yeah, the lines. yeah, and that magnificent turn a year later. I mean, that is 
that's for me the flight of the piece. But she doesn't do a uh, she doesn't leave a line space. No. She doesn't give a new stanza. No, that's right. It just goes straight on. Yeah. And that's quite tricky when you read in it. I wa- I did leave a pause because hang on, you know, this is a year later. Here now we're coming with the with with the punch. Yeah. Uh, but she wants us to, you know, she's full tilt, full tilt at it. It's a torrent. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested by the point of view in this poem because I think at the beginning it's from the point of view of, <laughs> it's mm. the viewpoint of a child mm. almost looking yeah. down. Yeah. I don't know what you think about I, that. I think you're right. I mean, I'm very interested in this poem because it's a daughter's perspective on the issue, which, you know, when we get to mine, we'll see it's, it's not the daughter's perspective. But I hadn't noticed that, but you're right, I, I think, Chris. When we start off... Uh, the the eye voice is a young voice because particularly this, as if looking down into the lives of women, yeah. just she's not yet a woman. Yeah. So she's thinking herself back into receiving the present at fourteen years old. That's right. So she mm. this is when she's gone before with yeah. with a parent. We don't know which parent. Possibly yeah. it would be the mother. Yeah. So she's looking at she that's knows, her own experience. She knows of it. She's yeah. been into him. <laughs> yeah, it's a an, an otherly store for a little girl. It's yeah. a, for grown ups, and it's very, yeah, it's very grown up. And she yeah. likes the fact that her father's given her a grown up present. I guess. From, yeah. Yeah. As a sort of maybe that's it. It's a coming of age. It's a. I mean, it, it, it's very erotic, isn't it? It's shot through with that mm. the poem. So it is perhaps a. It's Electra working things out, and we have the little girl who who then gets the present from her father, and uh, that's, that's in the present tense. Yeah, but I also think there's a there's Sharon Olds, the adult looking back. Yeah, I liked it that it was not too sexy, just a blue dress for a fourteen year old daughter. That almost seems like the adult speaking. Oh, I see what you're saying. That so that's not the. F- 14-year-old receiving the present. That's perhaps not... Oh, right. At some point, she decided that that was uh, very appropriate, that it wasn't too sexy. But you're asking, did she realise that at point of receipt yeah. or later? Is it, is it a reflection? Nice. So I think she's almost going through different... She starts as a child, and then there's the, yeah. the present tense of the 14-year-old. and then the, and So then we've got different sorts of present tense going on then, because after that, we get, I put it on, a perfect fit. Now, that is yeah. back to yeah. 14-year-old, I put it on. So maybe she's even moving uh, through the poem into these different first-person perspectives, yeah. at different points in her age. Oh, that's very clever. I was also interested in the way that she repeats words. So, for instance, blue is repeated. Well, well, the f- I suppose the first instance is box, which has all sorts of connotations in this poem, I think. The box was from there. Mm. He had braved that place for me, the way he had entered my mother once to get me out. Mm. I opened the box. I had never had a present from him. Mm. So I had never had. I mean, that's an interesting kind of construction, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the, the the box, Pandora's box, the box, the box that is going to reveal a secret, which it, it, we do at the end. We have this year later, this night yeah. with her mother, when her mother reveals this secret that he didn't even choose it. Yeah. He didn't even pay for it. You know, she she actually not. I never. I had never had. She still had never had because it it wasn't actually from him. The mother picked it out, yeah. and this idea of this dress that wasn't too sexy. 
and uh, the the blueness that you mentioned, blue as the side of a blue teal disguised to go in safety. I was going to pick on up steel blue water. I was going to pick up the word safety. Safety, because it's very loaded, isn't it? Very loaded. It doesn't feel like it's the one one of the words that doesn't sort of sit in the poem, or like it's been put in there for a reason, you know. Exactly, and it was only at the end, after the dum more that I think, ah, that's the safety, that's the mother. Right. Of course, if the mother's picking out a blue dress, yeah, you want to keep your daughter safe, don't uh, you? Yeah. Sexually safe, yeah, yeah. safe in all sorts of That's why it's a shirtwaist dress. Yeah. That's why it's cotton. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's not actually uh, the dress that maybe, I'm not saying a father would have picked out, yeah. but I think safety, once we know that actually the mother gave Oh, that's her, really interesting. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Mm. Yeah. But you're right, it doesn't belong. Uh, in in the poem, the, the word safety. I think, Oof, what's going on here? Mm. But blue. I mean, blue is something that. I mean, we'll talk about that when we come to your poem. Yeah. Well, we've got blue dress in the title. We've got blue teal. We've got steel blue. Is that it? Blue shirtwaist. So, oh, blue blue as a side. Five. There's five or six repetitions of blue, uh, but it's not the full spectrum of blue. We're 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 with a tealy steely yeah. color aren't we that's where we are which is birds which is and steel is is strong and safe and the blue is not frivolous sort of part of the plainness of it yeah part of clark kent's suit what's well, clark kent doing in there well i think but it isn't an ordinary suit though is it because it hides something underneath it oh that's what i'm thinking well, tell me about Clark Kent, because well, I, this is sort of references sort of lost on me. Is that well, the man in the phone box? It's okay. Superman. He's a reporter. Ah. But the suit is, he's part of him still, though. I think he's still part of Superman, because he needs the suit See. still to be Superman. So he goes in the phone box in a blue suit, and he comes out in that red and yellow yeah, thing. Yeah, the cape. Oh. Ooh, okay. This is a dimension of the poem I've not really thought about before, I must say. So... That's safety, then, the blue mm, suit. It Clark is. Clark Kent's, it's a, it's a safe, it's but what, it's a disguise. It's a disguise. So we don't actually know how powerful he really is. Yeah. So is this blue dress a disguise? So we don't know how powerful she really is. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mm. It's like, you know, the, the underneath, the, the things that are underneath are really, is where the, sort it's of the, the energy is. But, yeah, but and that's the sex, presumably. That's the emerging sex. Yeah. So it's a plain dress, a safe, plain dress for a 14-year-old, but actually underneath there that the mother actually, it turns out, has picked out. Mm. But underneath there, this narrator, this first-person narrator is actually... The energy is bubbling up, the erotic, the sexual, the becoming, yeah. the adolescent energy that's going to transform her into a woman, one of these women whose lives are represented by Hinks, the department yeah, store, yeah. where she hasn't yet, you know, fully um, crossed over into that world yet. But, okay, so it's a transformation poem as well, an adolescent poem. And going away to boarding school, I guess, this is... I, I, I like this this at the end where she does wear it as a disguise, doesn't she, as a mask. She puts it on so she can say to all her yeah. peers, all her peers and girls, oh, 
from her father. So what she's disguising is, what she's setting up is a pretend story about this close relationship with the father. The domesticity, who absent. yeah. He's yeah. absent. It's incredible, really. Does she? Get, I mean, Fabulous. is she fair to her mother? Mm? Is she doesn't? She, is she fair to her mother in this? Of book? course not. Nobody's ever fair to mothers. And this is my <laughs> this is my new thing. All these misery mem- memoirs in which the mother. I just recently read one. Um, gave it to my daughter, and I said, "Read that." <laughs> I said, "You know, tell me, is this fair to the mother?" Because um, they they get a bad press. I think they get a bad press, and I I I, I kind of get that. Because what's going on here, we're back to Electra, aren't we? There's a tussle going on for her father's, there's been a divorce. Yeah. So here's the daughter who, young girls try themselves out on their fathers, I believe, when they're practicing. It's a safe place to practice as they become adults before they go off into the world. So there's something about, at some point, I'm not a classicist at all, but at some point the mother is a sort of rival while the daughter acts out with the father, oh, I'm going to turn into a woman and I'm going to be attractive. And so there's that process going on. There's a moment when the mother is is seen as the rival because she's actually the one that her father loves. and, And so that's going on. And I believe it's suggested that if something happens to disrupt that prone, which is a natural psychological process. Yeah. But if something disrupts it while it's ongoing and not complete, you can have all sorts of problems. So, for example, one thing that's said about Pla is that her father, Otto, died at a critical time. Right. And this is why she's done Electra on Azalea Path and why she sometimes calls herself Electra and all the problem issues she had with Aurelia, her mother. Yeah. Some people have seen it through that lens. And that, I think, is said to happen around the age of seven. Oh, right. Exactly. Okay. I, I don't know whether somebody might be listening to this and thinking, she doesn't know. <laughs> but No, I don't. I say I'm not. But yeah, I've dabbled with this as I've needed to know. So I was yeah. curious as to why I've talked to about Electra. So a divorce might be something similar. So when I read this poem and I think, well, no, she's 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 fighting with her mother. You know, she's that tussle is still going on of becoming uh, girls. I think they want to become their mothers and they don't want to become their mothers. There's this competing, conflicting process going on. That's your reference point. That's your female reference point. Is that who I'm going to become? And so it's entirely natural to both want the want to be like that and not not to be like that. Because yeah. all these things have worked out in my poem when we come to it. It's a very particular interest in my poem where yeah. I'm much more interested in the mother-daughter relationship. <laughs> so, But she's there as well, isn't she? That's but the she's thing. there. She she's cops here. it because she's there yeah. and the father isn't. She's there. She's not an absent mother. No. She's the present mother. It's the father who's absent. And present mothers uh, do, I think, get, get this. And it's know. the mythology of the father as well, isn't it? I mean, she writes about that in, yeah. in The Father, her collection oh, of The course, Father. of course, The Father, yes. It came after Sign of Suffering. Yeah. And then, of course, in The Stag, she, well, she goes on 
working these issues out. I mean, she is generally far more interested in the father than the mother. I mean, yeah. I, I, well, that's an interesting task. I might go and count up and see. <laughs> but um, but no, she's interested herself as herself as the mother, though, isn't she? Oh yeah, that's that's true. When she deals and with so her own she has children, motherhood poems. Lots when of she's talking to her daughter on the phone. Yeah, yeah. So she does do the mother-daughter poems, but maybe there are more about her daughter, mothering her daughter. But here at the end, well, is, you say, well, she, is she entirely fair to her mother? You could debate that. You could say the mother should never have revealed this information. Why? What was to be gained by in this moment of... But I, I get, I, I feel for the mother. She's clearly been pushed to a limit. They're having a fight. She's flicking all her switches and she's still in this place where she hero worships her father. Yeah. And who can kind of blame her mother for saying, <laughs> I bought that dress and I paid for it. <laughs> you know, he was a shit. Yeah. So I kind of get that, but it probably didn't help they were doing their relationship any good. What I've learned is, Keepstun. <laughs> <laughs> it ends on the idea of wanting to have something which mm. which is quite sad, really, isn't it? It's In very sad. You know, whether it's true or a lie, I didn't care. Just I mean, to have something—that's want, isn't it? Lacking something and and also wanting yeah. something in terms of yeah. something that isn't there. But this desire for something, even if it's not true, this willingness to accept. Ooh, now I'm thinking about Sylvia Plath's poem, The Birthday Present, where there's a box and it's opened up and she says, I'll accept it. You know, even if it's a lie, I'll take it. So I think maybe yeah. there is a sort of a trope here of a, this box which is opened and might be a lie inside the box. There is a lie inside this box as it happens. But she, go, she goes on wearing the dress because even the lie is something. Yes. Mm. And she can construct herself out mm. of that. And feel better about herself. So yeah. maybe this process of becoming where we have to develop our esteem, develop our confidence, grow into somebody who can live, sometimes requires that sort of lie yeah. or that sort of construction or something to, to ease that way. Mm. Um, maybe that's part of the process. You know, that some days we might get up and tell ourselves it's a, it's a good day and it's yeah. a little bit of... <laughs> A bit yeah. of conning going on, perhaps, yeah. you know? Um, but it helps. It doesn't do anybody any harm. She goes around the boarding school telling the other yeah. girls that her dad bought her that dress. Not doing anybody any harm. No. But it might just be helping her, her, her develop her sense of self and esteem. But it's, it is sad. She ends the poem very well, I think. You know, you talk about this idea of it being one long stanza. Mm. It's a very complete poem, I think. Even with all the movement in it from backwards and forwards and the points of view that she kind of... It is. It's a, it's a splendid creates. standalone. You've got everything there. Um, it's just the balance that she, that she, that she has in terms of the, the, sort of the, the through line of the poem. It's marvellous. And it's the dress, the dress that's the... Um, it's the eye of the needle that she, you know, threads the words through. Yeah, and the pacing of it, I think, the fact that in these, well, what I think might be 41 lines, but it's a bit debatable, uh, the idea that within that she has managed to get the, the, the whole time frame of it 
the, the forward and back, the analepsis, prolepsis, yeah. all hooked together with the blue dress. But to 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 have such a story arc in this single poem uh, awes me really. And you go away, I think, continuing to think about these relationships, this family, mm. the mother and the father, the mother and the daughter, the father and the daughter, the daughter away at school, all of those things, I think, stay with us. Uh, it's yeah. a, it's a, a real vivid portrait. It's complex as well. And it's, ne it's never sort of giving easy answers, I think. No answers are there. I think the best poems there aren't any. Yeah. We just we just stop. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and and yeah, just to have something. Yeah. It, it doesn't it doesn't fall into that hole of trying to give us a final line that tells yeah. us something profound. She doesn't of yeah. course she's a very skilled writer. She knows that it's better to leave us just on that edge there. Yeah. Yeah. Could we go on to look at your poem? To my one, yeah. Can I just say thank you for giving me the opportunity to revisit this poem? Because, you know, how often do we go back now and go through our old collections? Exactly. And yeah. it's lovely to have a chance to just reflect on a poem that must be, I don't know, 40 years? Surely not. 30 years of? Oh, anyway, it was written some time ago. I've just moved all my uh, books, poetry books, mm. from the attic to the basement of my house and mm. there's just so many books that yeah i carry that so i i remember as much as through where i was in my life yeah, yeah. when i was reading them as as, the, yeah. as with the poems in them yeah yeah you know absolutely coming back to this idea of of age and uh and remembering poems remembering. as well yeah yeah so it's a bit different to novels isn't it i think i would never get rid of any of my poetry collections are all there and I, I, you do, we do reread them in a way that we don't always have time to reread novels or revisit them or have that same yeah. image of where we were. So it's, it's great to be able to reread re it and get parachuted back to being in my 20s. <laughs> so um, my poem. So this might seem like a strange question, but <sighs> how aware were you when you were writing Blue Dress of Sharon Old's poem? Okay, it's <laughs> an interesting question. Maybe I'll, the first thing I'll say is that the poem, I started writing the poem when I was away at Cove Park, which is a marvellous uh, writer's colony in Scotland um, where you stay in a shipping container on the banks of a lock and you, you're just there writing, you know, just Highland cows and nothing else really. A few <laughs> other people in residence who you see in the evenings perhaps. And I'd won a Northern Writers Award for this manuscript in progress. And part of that was involved paying for me to go there uh, to continue with the manuscript. So the the piece, the, my, my poem that I'm here with today, was quite deep into the manuscript in the third section. I was already quite a way on with it. And so I arrived at Cove Park, started to look at the, because there's a clear narrative arc throughout the collection, started to look at what I needed to do next. And it was this poem. So I began working on it there as sort of the next poem in the sequence, if you like, 
Without the blue dress, Chris and I have got a blue dress hanging up, I might say, in this office. I'll take take a photo of this (laughs) on the website later. Okay, so I brought the blue dress in uh, just as a sort of prop and to show, to have a visual thing for the poem. But I didn't have that dress with me uh, when I started writing the poem. So I was trying to recall it. Right, okay. And I was trying to write the poem and then I was... At the end of the first day of working on it, I suddenly remembered the Sharon Earls. I thought, oh no, I think Sharon Earls has got a blue dress poem. Oh my goodness, what can I do about this? And I thought, I can't change the colour. I know the dress is blue. And I really didn't want to change the colour. There are some things that I don't mind changing at all. Yeah. Um, but there are some details I get very attached to. There's a lot of food in my manuscript. And one of my friends who's looked at the manuscript challenged me on one of the items recently because she thought it was a bit bourgeois. Could I change it? And I said, well, I can't change it because that is actually really important. That is a vanilla kipfel. I think it's bourgeois. I thought it's just Austria. But anyway, I, there were some details I hung on. To, I want to hang on to, and blue dress is one of them. Now, no internet connection at Cove Park, With, of course. Yeah. And I wanted to check about the Sharon Old poem. So that evening, I went up to the main centre and could get an internet connection and started Googling around for the Sharon Old poem. And I found it, and I looked at it, and I thought, oh, no, oh, no, what am I going to do? Because there are links. There's an absent parent. Yeah. There's a gift. Yes, there's links. And at that point, I had to decide, really, whether I, I was going to do an homage and work with the Sharon Earls poem and just think, you know, by chance they're both blue dresses and by chance they have these links. So either I address this explicitly mm. or I'm going to have to really step away from this and change the dress to a different, or do something. So I decided to have a go while I was there and play and see what I could. So I downloaded a copy and, and I had the Sharon Earls poem with me while I worked on mine. Um, while I worked on mine, is that strictly true? I think I must have been conscious of it as I worked rather than working in some references afterwards. Right. Um, but I'm, I think I worked on it during the day and then, oh, it was an enchanting time, enchanted. And then I do in the, in my notes section of the manuscript at the back, uh, I don't know what I say, but I don't. I try to keep the notes down and the acknowledgements, but let's just see what I say. I just say in the end references, Blue Dress, this poem references the Blue Dress by Sharon Olds. Mm. So it's a... Yeah. Yeah. You you, you nod uh, in the direction of her poem. I say that it references her, which it does. It does, yeah. Yeah. But in interesting ways... Does that answer your question? Yes, in interesting ways. I mean, I think we should hear it, and then I'll ask you a bit more about about those connections and differences. Maybe I should say, before I read it, that just remind you that when when we were discussing this, and I said, oh, the problem with mine is it's a diary piece. And when I say diary piece, I mean that it's... Uh, it appears in the third section of a manuscript which has been telling a story. And so uh, immediately before it and immediately after it are continuations of the poem, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and uh, actually the poem after makes reference back to the Sharon Earls poem. So what we were saying about hers, that it's a standalone piece in 41 lines, she does the whole thing. Mine doesn't have that power. It doesn't have that turn. It's not a, a standalone at all. 
but I suppose it has the benefit of um, I can pace it over yeah. surrounding poems. And I also say that because the introduction, the first stanza of my poem is is catch up, if you like. It's a, it's um, context. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Blue dress. Um, at this point in the manuscript, the mother who is narrating the poem has been separated from her daughter, has not seen her daughter for, well, it is November actually, which is a link, although I don't state November in the poem, for 13, 14, 15 months. And, and there's been no contact. So I say that to make it make sense. Blue dress. The call comes out of the blue. How else? There is only the blue. It is what we have lived with. Afterwards, I am dazed by the day. I replay the phone ringing twice, the way I picked up the second time, remembering she used to do this. It's all right, Mum. It's me calling. She names a date and place, the hours she could be there. She knows it might sound crazy, too far away. Afterwards, I wonder if she heard the hesitation in my voice. I want to get something for her. Perhaps because I don't believe I am enough. Maybe to make up for birthdays I've missed. Or just to have something, whether true or a lie. Something she can't deny is a gift from her mother. Something she can hide from her father if he asks. I would need to pick out something not too expensive. She could say she bought for herself something unextraordinary. A plain gift, giving nothing away. Something to wear, perhaps. I choose Oasis, the airy boutique with a glass lobby and mirrory gallery at the top of a silver river of stairs. Thin men in hoodies and tall girls with eyeliner and ponytails peer over a chrome rail. I flatten myself against the side like a nun, try to be invisible. I braved this place for her. Beyond the lobby, random rails of fluid clothes, denim, sweats, coats with fur-edged huds. I don't know who she's become. It's foolish, impossible. As I turn to go, a rack of spare clothes, one-offs, small sizes, shop returns. And suddenly, a bolt of blue in my eye like shot silk from Shandong. I run it through my fingers. The grain catches. I trace the scalloped neck to the waist, test the lay of its deep V over an inset panel across the breasts. I push my hands inside, try to gauge the space for her ribs. In the LED light, it turns purple, indigo, delphinium, iris. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. 
I haven't read that poem before. Haven't you? No. <laughs> so it's strange when we read a poem. It is, isn't it? Yes. In company, I've read it aloud to myself, but yeah. the first time I've That's tried in, it. In yeah. front of an audience. Uh, yeah. So thank you. There's, uh, the, I mean, the, I guess one of the first things that marks it differently from the old poem is how you write it. And it's much more, I'd say, kind of controlled free verse. Hmm. It's a tight free verse, mm-hmm. you know, it, the lie lengths are very kind of measured and mm. yeah, they, they're kind of working through the thought processes that you're going through, which are quite intricate and tight, mm. if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. No, definitely, I agree. It's 52 lines, but it's in very clear stanzas, which are of equal length, and as you say, uh they're similar shape, the stanzas. I'm not ranging across the page with long lines. It's definitely a, a, a some sort of control being imposed, if not rhyme or or meter. So it's free, but it's it's in a box. Yeah, it's in, box. <laughs> it's in four boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, uh, before we. Look at some of the connections. Mm. I mean, like you say, there are the differences that it's about mm. it's from the mother's perspective. From the mother's perspective, the absent mother's perspective. Yeah. So the yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's there, and she buys it almost as to hide from the father. Yes, it's a gift from the absent mother, but this mother is wants to pretend it's not from her, yeah. or thinks. She might need to buy something that the daughter can pretend isn't from her. So still playing with that because the daughter is with the father yeah, who doesn't know that there's going to be this contact. Mm. And so there's a, a hiding, there's a disguise, which is kind of a, a link with the old poem, but it's doing something different. It's a different sort of yeah. thing. And it's about reunion as well, isn't it, rather than separation? Yes. It's the point of reunion after, after this narrative of separation, after this long separation. Mm. So there's some things that are similar in the sense that in both poems, the daughter is, well, Sharon Earl's poem, it's 14 years old, and this, my one, it's 15 years old. So very yeah. similar age. Um, it's a similar time of year, November, in the following the poem that follows this one in the manuscript is pinned down that it's November because she yeah. then goes up with the package, you see. That's yeah. a difference. She yeah. gives the package yeah. to the daughter, and that's November. So that's another link with the Earl's, the Earl's poem. So, yeah, so there's some, some things that are, um, are similar and some that are different. So in the f- poem that follows this one in my manuscript, uh, my collection that's forthcoming, the mother watches the daughter try it on. Yeah. And... We hear that it fits perfectly, which of course Owls got into her standalone poem. The daughter says, uh, "I put it on a perfect fit." Yeah, whereas because I'm doing a a, a, narrative. Sequ- a narrative, I can that goes in the next the next yeah. place. But again, it's a a perfect fit, and and then you get the the follow up because in the it's weird that I'm starting to talk about the following poem, but in the following poem, yeah, yeah. the mother then. They go out shopping together and the mother buys the daughter silver pumps to wear with the dress. Yeah. And 
the daughter picks out a black coat for the mother. So there's a sort of exchange of... Yeah. And I must say that through my manuscript, food and clothes come up a lot. And I'm kind of interested in that, that, that for an absent mother or a mother uh, that's separated from a daughter, estranged, the performance of love, if you like, is often seems to me to be through food and clothes, mm. that the mother wants to feed the daughter and she worries that the daughter has got the clothes she needs. Yeah. So I think these are, you know, it, I did. I wasn't conscious of that at the time, but I can see that uh, now it's done and it sort of interests me. So the clothes theme, I think... It's very rich in poetry. Mm. There are lots of clothes poems. I know people run workshops on clothes poems, and yeah. kind of I understand why now they're powerful. Could I ask you about another daughter relationship and mm. the fact that you use blue in this poem? But you use, but the blue is some, something that you've used before in poems about your own mother. Oh, so a daughter green and blue oh. is is. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Oh my goodness! It's my last collection. In your last collection, what's your yeah. last collection? So that, that's there, isn't it? Oh, of course, yeah. There's, there's a sonnet sequence yeah. in that collection, yeah, which is focuses on your mother's which illness. Focuses on my mother, yeah, and there, that's the daughter it's speaking the about the mother, isn't it? the kingfisher, the and daughter, green, daughter and green and blue. So I've used blue before for mother daughter. That's interesting. Thank you for that. And days by the day, that's that's like the poem where you talk about the equinox. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So, wow. so you, you, the thing is, we carry around with us. We carry things with us, don't we? We carry our. I mean, that we yeah. kind of, we we kind of we don't we, we don't plagiarize ourselves, but we we kind of we have our preoccupations, don't we? Yeah. We have our associations. So you're right in the equinox poem, the idea of the day being in perfect balance, um, and then becoming unbalanced. This idea of getting some terrible news that yeah. you're going to die. And the day unbalancing yeah. like that. And in this poem, I mean, it was a bit of a conundrum for me to write, actually, because I thought, well, I mean, the manuscript, as I say, it's in four parts of, uh, in six months, it's a period of two years while the mother and daughter are estranged. And I was very interested to see that the first six months really are the mother performing grief. She can't, she's in pieces. It's an absolute exploration of, you know, what happens if your daughter disappears? Yeah. What happens to the mother? And then the, the following six months, of course, she has to live. So you can see her making connect, finding connections with other estranged mothers and daughters. And so she turns outwards away from herself and starts to find in the media and in, in, various cases and in classical mythology like Demeter and Persephone finds all sorts of, of ways which help her, which strengthen her because she feels a sense of community with other mothers who've lost their daughters. So that's in the second part. And then in the third part, we're moving towards um, them coming back together. But I thought, well, how do I do this? Yeah. How am I going to do this in, in this um, collection? And it's, it was a very challenging point for me, whether I'm going to dwell on it. So I had that point of reunion done in various ways, including blow by blow yeah. accounts. And in the end, I thought, no, no, actually, I'm going to keep that hidden. Yeah. That's a private thing. Yeah. I'm not going to write in detail about that. I have to hook it onto something. And that's where the blue dress came yeah. That uh, You're going to have to accept that there was a day when she got a phone call 
and it unsettled her. It dazed her. Well, I think what you do really well in this poem is how you write about doubt. Oh, and uncertainty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's really that's not the tone that we've got in a lot of contemporary poetry. Is quite brash and kind of confident in its own. Whereas its mother is so anxious. And there's the 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 anxiousness in this poem, full of doubt. But it's done really skillfully, artfully. I'm glad you find because it's such a difficult thing to write. I think. Yeah. The having a voice that's kind of. You know, you know you get a, a, the, the narrator gets a call from the daughter who she hasn't seen, who she's been in peace about, who wants to meet. And then she thinks, oh, I hesitated. <laughs> yeah. you know, did she pick oh, that up? You know, did she pick that up, that I hesitated? But the fact of the hesitation, like, well, what mother would hesitate? Well, of course she'd hesitate in actual fact because our condition is full of doubt and uncertainty and self-doubt yeah. and anxiety. and um yeah, and there's more risk, isn't there? There's more risk. Yeah. There's more risk. Okay, so I haven't seen you now for 14 months. I've got used to this, and now you want me to come and get on a train and see you Yeah, and risk whatever is ahead. So it's a huge risk that both mother and daughter are taking in this moment. So dazed by the day, it had to, mm. it had to come down to, to that. And then, and then this speculation about why do I even want to take her something is not her birthday. Why do I feel the need to take a present? Yeah. And that idea of, well, if she doesn't like seeing me, at least she'll get a dress out of it. <laughs> you know, the bluntness of yeah. maybe, you know, the mother, it, it is about doubt and uncertainty. Yeah. Mm. Which is further kind of exacerbated by going to the shop. That kind of, it's a sort of alien mm. kind of, mm. it's sort of this haven for the young, isn't it? Almost really. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, compared the, to Hinks, the, compared with, to, the ma- with mahogany rail yeah. and the petticoats, bras, and camisoles. I was curious <laughs> about that. That when Olds was writing about the, de- the department store where the father shopped, yeah. it was these very feminine garments, mm. underwear. But in my poem, when I'm writing about going to shop for this 15 year old girl, in a shop that I imagine fifteen-year-old girls must shop, although I no longer—I'm using I now—the narrator no longer knows <laughs> yeah. because she hasn't been parenting a fifteen-year-old girl. Yeah, um, it isn't underwear; it's those Parker things that were all the rage at the time. Oh, yeah, with yeah, the yeah, fur yeah. around and these very gender-fluid clothes. Yeah, and so a completely different array of things to choose from, mm. but equally confusing. Yeah. So, oh, those br- par- bras, camisoles, and petticoats. That's what women become then. Right. Back then. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, Hicks. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is what yeah. adolescent girls have to negotiate in terms of the disguises they put on as they yeah. become women. Um, but it is an Oasis dress. I, I it is that you've checked the ticket, haven't you? <laughs> because I thought Oasis, you might have used as a sort of, uh, as a sort of a symbol of, of the I'm revealing of, repl- of, rep- of replenishment, but it's not. It's just a happy yeah, accident, isn't a it? Happy accident. I am revealing myself as I'll use the accurate detail if I can. Yeah, and yeah. So it is Oasis, but I thought, oh, well, that works because, of course, by then I was glancing at the elves and thought, oh, well, you know, the the Oasis. Um, well, it's all chrome and glass, mm. so different from the mahogany rails at Hinks. So it, it did work as a contrast. Yeah, so, but I love that image of the um, 
the stairs, the Silver River of silver Stairs. Silver River of that's Stairs. Lovely. Can you see that escalator? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sort of stands out because it, it is a kind of quite poetic line. Mm, and is. and the the poem is almost like fighting against that kind of poetry in a way at mm, times I mm. think although you it, I think you reintroduce at the end very well but it, there's a kind of um mm. um almost like a sort of taciturn or kind of matter of fact yeah kind of yeah quality to the to the to the poem I know to I, the words. I was very conscious of that while working on this collection actually because there were times when. And a few people I've shown it to sometimes commented on that, that it was a bit prosy. It was a bit, and it's, it's that, it's that trade off we have to make between if we're telling a story, if we're doing a narrative. It's a very interesting choice for me. Why am I doing this narrative as prose? Didn't need to, in poetry, it didn't yeah. need to be a collection of poetry. It could have been a novel. It could have been a memoir. It could have been a film script. Yeah. Why did I do it as poems? And then if you're, if you're going to choose to do it as something that you're calling a, po a collection of poetry, uh, how do you deal with the bits that might come across as a little bit prosy and catch up and diary writing? And, um, and how do you, uh, accept sometimes that yeah. you want a more poetic voice yeah. for something that, you think, well, I don't want to airbrush this. Yeah. I don't want to make this beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's an interesting thing. But, you know, the old poem, she has that kind of voice as well. The first November after the divorce, there was a box for my father and my yeah. birth. It's a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. It's front loaded with um, exposition, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So I mean, that's I one way of doing it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, you, you're kind of doing it in your yeah. poem as well. Yeah. But the Silver River of Stairs, you write, is where I allowed myself. It's the blue Shop teal. Silk from it's blue teal up. as well, isn't there? Yeah. Kind of, I think, yeah, almost yeah. sort of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, know, exactly. That you're kind of riffing on, really, possibly. Absolutely riffing on. And I really go, you know, in the end, I try and turn it on this chanting of names for blue. In mm. a way of, you know, let us let, just lose ourselves in this dress then. Let this dress carry this. I was going to ask about this idea, the grain catches. Mm. So that suggests there's there's still sort of attention, or there's something that yes, sort of yeah. I tried it when I when I lifted the dress out of the old cupboard where it hangs. I thought, oh, I wonder if it still does catch. It kind of does, but you know when you it. Of course, it's it's not silk. It's some oasis, yeah, faux silk, yeah. Um, but you know that sort of slightly rough feeling, you yeah, get, and it catches against you. And you're right, it gave that idea as well of the uncertainty and the doubt and the trouble and the the idea of things not being as they seem, that it might look like a beautiful silky dress, but actually when you touch it, there's something in it that's going to be a little bit rough. Uh, so I wanted that, but I also am conscious that uh, in the old poet, Old poem when they she presses her forehead, you could press your forehead against it. This is the mahogany yeah. rail until you could almost feel the dense grain of the wood. So it's you know we've got I've got that word grain in that in old the old poem oh, is, yeah. is in the rail, yeah. but here it's actually in the fabric of the dress. Yeah, so oh. it's another playful borrowing. Yeah, no, I can see that. It's a transformation, isn't it? Really, mm, yeah. um, moving moving the the viewer 
the gazer, the person who's looking down on the uh, lives of women with their head against them, yeah. uh, to the per- to the wearer of the dress with the grain, the this rough grain of. Uh, I say it's like shot silk from Shandong. That's yeah. a bit poetic as well. Isn't it, it is. It's more <laughs> similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. But it's also about resistance as well and touch. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. d- done incredibly um, skillfully uh, and quite, I mean, touchingly, movingly in that it's about feeling, Mm. hugging the daughter, I think, almost. Yes, the tactileness, the, and maybe, I like that, that the mother buys a dress for the daughter and the the fabric will touch the daughter. She's not been able to touch the daughter. There's been no contact. So it's, yeah, wanting somebody to wear a gift of a dress, I suppose it's in both poems, it's a powerful thing. This absent parent who gifts a dress, something to wear. I also I push my hands inside. Uh, yeah, well, I was just going to mention that about this space for ribs because both poems refer to breasts and ribs. Yeah. Um, but whereas I found the old poem crackling with sexual tension. Because it's spoken by the daughter, who yeah. says she's just raised these new breasts like earthworks in the night, and she says they're in commemoration of of his name his and name. her father's name. Yeah. So we have this electrosexual yeah. becoming energy, um, and she especially likes the dress against the skin of her ribs. She says mm. under the breasts. Well, what I try to do when the mother, and I suppose this is maybe back to this notion of the safety, the word safety, and our conversation that, of course, it was the mother who picked out this dress. So she's Mm. chosen a safe, plain cotton dress, not anything sexy at all. Here, the mother choosing a dress which at first glance might be a little bit more sexy because it's like shot silk from Shandong, and it's got this very, um, you know, it's got a deep V. Uh, so, uh, which is laying across an incest panel across the breast. So mm. we've got this idea that it's, and it, I think I use the Shandong, the idea of Shandong because it's hanging here in the room and it's like a sheath dress. Mm. Yeah, it's not a dress with lots of fabric in the skirt. Yeah. Whoever wears this dress is going to hug their figure yeah. and um, skim their hips. Yeah. And it's a dress for uh yeah, to feel good in actually mm. to go to yeah. go out in. Yeah, uh, not not to it's a wear. Party dress, isn't it? It's a party dress. Absolutely, it did have a little silver belt yeah. on it, which has gone missing somewhere. So, yeah. when I say at the end of the poem uh, that the mother, I trace the scalloped neck to the waist, test the lay of its deep V over an inset panel across the breast. Because it plunges to the waist, actually. The only way the modesty is protected is by this little inset panel, mm. which is inserted between this scalloped plunge. Um, I pushed my hands inside, tried to gauge the space for her ribs. And when I wrote that, I was very, very much thinking of ribs in, as spare rib, yeah. as women's liberation, as empowerment, as yeah. something not sexual at all, but rather... Yeah as claiming um, uh, a space 
and and I I can still remember that I was very very concerned to to do that, and the end has been in lots and lots of iterations, mm. and maybe before it's published, it'll change again. Who knows? Yeah, I'm now thinking I'll probably go away from this session, Chrissy. I'll just look at that blue dress home again before it's published. <laughs> but well, um, I have done various things with the end, trying to trying to turn her into a young woman who I want to claim her own yeah. space and, and name. Yeah. Which is which is interesting because she's been gone for so for so long for so long. So yeah. it's it's giving her this freedom that's giving her freedom that she's actually. Yeah. She hasn't had the mother living alongside her, having fights no. with her, you know, like in the old poem. Yeah. The mother hasn't had an opportunity for 15 months to get in a fight with her. Yeah. Um, and so this moment of reunion, the mother is trying to gift freedom. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's how we win freedom. Yeah, no, I think you're right. From the separation. No, I think you're right. You let them, mm. you have to let them do what they mm. Yeah. What they want to. Yeah. So there's a reference there. I think quite a lot of my explicit references to the Olds poem, however, cluster in the second and third stanzas. You know, that middle section mm. is where uh, I've I've got in lines like just to have something whether true or a lie and and picking out something not too expensive, which is almost a direct yeah. transplant playing gift. So I think the central section of it is where I'm really nodding to Olds and uh, doing my homage. Mm. I see I made a little note here. I say the, the mother in my poem wants just to have something. Um, she's buying the dress for a link, an idea of a daughter. Mm. Actually, she hasn't had this daughter yeah she hasn't held her she hasn't fought with her she hasn't had anything with her yeah. but this idea of whether true or a lie just to have something this sadness that we were noting about the other poem yeah. i think why it's in my poem is because similarly i see this mother who's embarking on this long train journey to another country to yeah. be reunited with his daughter not even being not being at all confident that she could claim her as a daughter actually mm. uh, but buying the dress and taking it makes her feel more like a mother yeah. oh you know if she got into a conversation on a train she might say to a fellow passenger oh i'm just i'm just <laughs> off to yes give her got a dress for my daughter yeah. and you could be fooled into thinking that they were close yeah. just as in the Sharon Olds yeah. poem she yeah, says no. oh just get from my father so it's the same sort of true or a lie it's um in Sharon Olds the daughter receives it as an idea of the father and here the mother's giving it so that she's got an idea of having a daughter yeah just to have something yeah no I could see sort that sort of comfort yeah no that's very kind of very well put, I think, you know, very well articulated. Um, Thank you. I had to stop and think about it, though, when you asked me on to, to talk about it. Yeah. So I was grateful for that because I think we are kind of, we know that we're making these links, but we're not required to articulate them at that moment. So I think that when we work in the tradition of another poem, however explicitly or consciously, we do know what we're doing. But we're not often asked to articulate that process. So yeah. what I'm being able to do today, I suppose, is is really look closely at it and try and find a way of 
not just knowing it in my head, but explaining it. So mm. It's been helpful. Good. As a sort of final question or final kind of a prompt, you've talked about the first three sections. Could you say a bit about the final section? Oh, of my manuscript? Yeah. Or the poem, yeah. Well, yeah, I can't. Thank you for the opportunity because in the third section, they're finding their way back to each other and the mother goes up with the gift and then the mother goes back down again and then the daughter runs away and tries to make her way back to the mother and that's a bit of all a bit of a drama so that all goes on and then in the final section the gap uh, what i found interesting writing this uh, manuscript was i was able to hand over to the daughter and let the daughter's voice come in mm. uh, because the daughter's come back mm. and so a couple of the poems are written in the voice of the daughter we did try uh, my daughter did have a go at writing some, yeah. and we played with this idea of actually having her her write her own yeah. poems, put them in. My daughter's photographs are in, and I'm hoping they're going to be able to be published with the collection. Um, but my daughter and I actually worked very, very closely on the manuscript for ethical reasons. Yeah. So after it was done, she's been through with a fine-toothed comb, and a few things she wanted out, which all of which I've done. And it was a very, very good dynamic ethical conversation. And then particularly about the final poems, as I say, where her voice comes in and it's really the narrative of, is over to her. And we get to find out a little bit more about her perspective on yeah. the estrangement. Um, and finally, at the very end, we were talking earlier about not having endings not yeah. having certainty not yeah. closing yeah. and the manuscript of course can't end because one of the things that i think is clear from this is that these things are never over you can't have a two-year separation between a mother and daughter at a crucial time like adolescence and it not leave scars and it not have a, a huge legacy and impact, which is continuing and will continue on both mother and daughter, but also actually on, on the father. And so, in a way, things never end. And whether or not we had thought about uh, writing this manuscript seven years after, 10 years after, 15 years after, only recently have the two of us realized that the, uh, uh, <laughs> a critical site of conflict was a washing machine. There's not a single washing machine in the magazine. Why haven't I got a washing machine in the magazine? Really, really important. So, you know, we make sense of things uh, continually through our lives. And choosing when to record something, I think, is a fascinating process in terms of what you do. But I'm very glad that I ended it by say by it not ending, if you like. Yeah. Uh, uh, and with some sort of, well, she's going to go on going away. There's going to go on being this dance. Uh, and so the very final poem is called Persephone, where I borrow explicitly from the narrative of the mm. father who takes the daughter down into the underworld for six months of every year. Yeah. And um, I was very glad to have those classical uh, <laughs> myths and legends to draw yeah. as, a, as a sort of backdrop to the, to the piece. Uh, but it ends with the mother, a uh, very, very finally epilogue poem. Yeah. It's actually one I didn't think when I wrote it that I'd ever 
want to publish it anywhere. I wrote it for the Sheffield Urban Forest. Do you remember oh, yeah, that? You yeah, were yeah, part yeah. of it. I was. When yeah. we wrote about trees. Yeah. Do you remember? In, Eng- in yeah. Eccles, what's it called? Eccles Park. Eccles Park. And the poem I did for that, Oak Mother, which is a poem of huge um, power, you yeah. know, yeah. conceptualizing the tree as, as, as a very powerful mother. Um, I've put that right at the end as the prologue because the oak tree runs through the manuscript as a recurring motif. Mm. And I suddenly thought, oh, yeah. I slipped my mother. So the mother opens, it's called Falling Mother, the manuscript. And although she opens falling, by the end, she gets her and mm. she stands tall. Mm. Maybe the clothes are the magic. And the poems is the washing machine. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, oh, if, uh, so I love that thought. That's what we should always do, isn't it? Put our lives through the washing machine, <laughs> yeah. see what comes out. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. washing machine is the process. Yeah. But funnily enough, when she was up last week and um, we were laughing about this washing machine business and um, – Oh, I took some clothes into wash of hers, and I don't know if you've seen. You've seen those barefoot shoes which have toes oh, in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. She was wearing those. That's ridiculous. <laughs> some point, I took them in my washing machine, claiming that they stinketh. Broke my washing machine down. I had to get the engineer out. And I thought it's perfect. The metaphor continues. <laughs> now we're actually we're in a really good place, yeah, yeah. and the washing machine breaks. Down. Maybe that's suggesting that we've got some sort of closure. Finally, that's, that's karma. Yeah, I think karma. All these years. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Liz, for coming in and talking about these two poems. Thank I really, you I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been it's been fun. All power to you. Thank you. Dr. Elizabeth Holloway, formerly Elizabeth Barrett, is an award-winning poet whose work has been published extensively in journals and anthologies. She is the author of four full-length collections of poetry. Her books are, in order, Walking on Tiptoe, Staple, 1998, The Bat Detector, Wrecking Ball Press, 2005, Walking on Tiptoe and Other Poems, Blue Chrome Press, 2007, and A Dart of Green and Blue, ARC Publications, 2010. In 2018, Elizabeth received a Northern Writers Award to support work on her Fuji collection, Falling Mother. To find out more about Elizabeth's work and explore this and other podcasts in the series, go to the website twowaypoetry.podbean.com or my website chris-jones.org.uk You can also follow me on X or Blue Sky, details of which are on the podcast website. The tune to lead us out was written by William Jones. <laughs>